So people who know me well know that I'm a cat person. Throughout my life, I have had beloved cats. I currently have a two-year-old cat. His name is Rafa, not after the tennis player, but a variation of the Hebrew word Rafua, which means healing. He arrived at 1.5 pounds during the pandemic when we needed some healing. From Bidawee, a New York City-based wonderful animal welfare organization. Not long after he arrived, I bought a book on training your cat to do tricks. Come on, it was the pandemic. I was looking for things to occupy myself. Well, turns out I've taught Roth to jump through a hoop. Yes, I bought a hoop. And you can't actually teach a cat to jump through a hoop unless you have a really cool top hat. So I have one of those too. What the heck am I telling you this story for? Because if my friend and former client, CEO of Bidoe, Leslie Granger, decided that she was going to partner with Barnum and Bailey Circus to train rescue animals to be in the circus, that would be like holy smokes nuts. She's supposed to be finding wonderful forever homes for her posse of wonderful animals. A decision like this would be mission creep in addition to holy smokes nuts. And I love Leslie, but if she did this, I would call her a mission creep. She'd laugh, and I'm pretty sure she would agree that she'd gone over the edge. So today we're going to take this phrase, mission creep, we're going to define it, we're going to identify its symptoms and its side effects, and I plan to offer you some practical advice of how to prevent it. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits to thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. You can learn more at joangary.com. I'm a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today, it turns out that the right person is me. So what is this mission creep I speak of? Well, here's a real-life example for you to chew on, because I have been a mission creep. For a decade, I ran an organization that works to ensure that the stories of LGBTQ lives are told fairly and accurately in the media. This mission was in the service of changing hearts and minds about LGBTQ people. Early in my tenure, I decided to bring in, adopt, add, whatever that word is, a program that existed as a standalone organization. Its mission was to offer trainings, in particular for media entities, to help them navigate diversity in the workplace, specifically around LGBTQ issues. So riddle me this, bad people. Was this the move of a mission creep? Kinda. So mission creep occurs when an organization makes a decision to engage in programmatic work that either is not at all aligned with their mission or is some kind of a holy smokes nuts stretch to justify that it is. The kind of stretch that makes somebody close to your organization kind of cock their head to one side and say, really? Or 
I'm not sure I get that. Or, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> or, you want us to do what? So this is where that word kinda comes into play. So let's talk about forms of mission creep. So one form of mission creep is when another entity is already kinda doing that thing. A second, nobody is doing that thing, so you figure, if not you, then who? A third form of mission creep is taking public credit for the success of another organization so that everybody thinks you do that thing. Shall I review? One, another entity is already kind of doing that thing. Number two is nobody's doing that thing, so you figure, if not you, well, then who? Whether it's on mission or not. And third, this is a different kind of form of mission creep. This is actually taking credit for the success of another organization who's doing that thing, so people can actually think you do that thing. I know that if you are not engaged in mission creep, one, two, or all three of those ring true for you, that you've seen it in your sector, but especially if there are many organizations, particularly national organizations, that are working on a particular issue. So GLAAD as an organization was one of many organizations that worked to secure LGBTQ equality because there needs to be multiple organizations because there's homophobia and transphobia resting in each institution, in the institution of education, in the institution of the media, on Capitol Hill. The list goes on and on. And so it makes perfect sense that there's an orchestra of organizations. It's about whether they play really beautiful music together or not. And oftentimes in spaces like that, the music, isn't, <laughs> the music doesn't sound always as nice as it should. Let's talk about what causes mission creep. I got five of them. Maybe you'll think there are more, but here are five of them that come to my mind. The first one, I thought to myself, lousy mission statement. But I would like to make a friendly amendment to my own statement because I think most missions, <laughs> I think most mission statements are lousy because they've been wordsmithed to death by a group of people and the heart and soul have been sucked right out of them. So instead of lousy mission statement, I'm going to give number one cause for mission creep to a lack of a real clarity of purpose about what the organization does, why it exists, why it is so deeply and profoundly important in the world. Now, a little bit of a sniff test on mission is, I like this statement when I get people thinking about their mission statement. You should be able to fill in these blanks. We do blank through blank in the service of blank. We do blank through blank in the service of blank. That can help you to give some clarity of purpose to your mission statement and also potentially unearth a lack of clarity. Because when your purpose, often illustrated by a lousy mission statement, is too broad or it's incomprehensible, what happens is it actually provides no guardrails for the organization 
about what fits inside the organization and what doesn't fit. By the way, if I can just digress for a minute, clear purpose about what you do that's most important in the world. It's job one for an organization. And almost every symptom or problem that an organization faces can take you right back there to some kind of challenge in the clarity of purpose. I see it over and over and over again. Can't raise money, can't recruit board members. Lots and lots of things go back to lack of clarity of purpose. So, but mission creep, totally. The number two cause for mission creep, ego. The executive director approaches the job with a high degree of self-interest. There is what is perceived to be an opportunity for the organization to be bigger, to raise more money. And the appeal of this is very high. And oftentimes, boards measure success using the wrong metrics. Well, we didn't grow our revenue by very high a percent last year. But did you have greater impact? Right? I can tell you that I have seen half-million-dollar budget organizations that have remarkable impact. And I've seen $70 million organizations that are hard-pressed to really explain the clear and tangible impact they had with their $70 million. It's not about the size of the budget. But ego plays a big role. If someone approaches the job with self-interest, they often want to see the organization get bigger, and they define bigger the wrong way. So we've got clarity or purpose, lousy mission statement, number one. Number two is ego. Number three is something I call BSOS, bright, shiny object syndrome. This can actually be something that happens at the board level or the staff level. It's a fabulous new idea, and everyone falls in love with it. They think it's innovative. They think it will raise money. They think blank. They think blank. And everyone gets all juiced, and the rolling stone gathers moss, but it only kind of fits. And as a result of this sort of falling in love with this bright, shiny object, they don't consider the implications on the infrastructure or the ability of the organization to do the work it currently has on its docket that is clearly related to its mission. Okay, so that's number three, bright, shiny object syndrome. Number four, the work is being done poorly by a colleague organization. Maybe I should use the word colleague in air quotes. Rather than collaborating with a colleague and working to ensure that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, an organization just decides it can be more effective if, if it does the thing. Donors are confused. Tensions are created between the two organizations. What do funders think? An impact can't possibly be maximized if two different organizations are kind of doing the thing. And number five, I'll review in a second. A funder has special interests. I don't need to say too much here because this story is as old as the hills. Organizations following the money, not by the North Star set by their purpose. Following the money. The Nonprofit Leadership Lab is led by Joan Gary and is the world's best online community for leaders of small nonprofits. Learn how to raise more money, build the board of your dreams, 
grow a large audience of supporters, and so much more. To learn more and request an invitation to become a member, please go to nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. That's nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. So these are the five, in my mind, the five main causes of mission creep. Lousy mission statement or lack of clarity of purpose. Number two is ego. Number three is bright, shiny object syndrome. Number four is that the work is being done poorly by a colleague. And number five, a funder has special interests and the organization decides to follow the money, whether the program is on mission or not. Do any of these sound familiar to you? Yeah, maybe not at your shop. And if that's so, hats off to you. So I want to next offer you some preventative measures. So here are some antidotes to mission creep. I'll even try to include side effects if I can think of any. (laughs) Okay. All right. So try this antidote, what I call a mission statement sniff test. Set aside an hour at a board meeting. It's important. It's worth this much time. Ask every board member, give every board member a sort of large index card and ask every board member to write down what they think the organization's core purpose is. You could ask them what they think the mission statement is, but I'm afraid that they'll try to actually Google it or something. Then either have each person read theirs out loud or shuffle them and read them. If you have to shuffle them, then you have to make sure that everybody writes legibly. You think this is a a, a small thing. It's not. I've done this. Everybody reads their core purpose aloud. There will be laughing. It'll be sort of uncomfortable laughing. And then I want you to talk about what the exercise means. I've done this exercise as part of a series of stakeholder interviews for a strategy project I was working on. I interviewed... 45 different people, and I got 45 different mission statements. Houston, we have a problem. Talk about what the exercise means. Is there a focus? Are there really different things happening, right? Don't rewrite the mission statement as a group, but start to think about this idea. See if you can just brainstorm for a minute about the format I suggested earlier. We do X through Y in the service of Z. See if you get anywhere with that. So that's prescription number one. I might want to say that side effects here can include fatigue, frustration, and possible board member exit, because it may be clear to one board member they're working with an organization that has a very different purpose than they actually understood. The second antidote is to assess your current programs. Now, relax. For right now, I'm not suggesting the elimination of any current programs. I I know that that probably made you break out in a little bit of a cold sweat. I'm suggesting, though, that a way to figure that out for yourselves. If you could tidy up that core purpose a little and then list the programs, and you could do this as a staff, perhaps, afterwards, but then rate it on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 is it totally fits. 1 doesn't fit. The four to six range is kinda. If you have ones or twos, you have to look at those carefully. If you've got fours or fives, maybe there's another organization that's doing that thing, or could be you could be doing it with that organization. 
you want the list to be sevens or higher, really. And I'm not sure that that's going to happen all the time. And I think you need to be honest with yourself about it. So what are the side effects of this prescription? Only good ones. Greater clarity about your current portfolio of program offerings. And then you can decide what you want to do with what you learned. The third antidote is to try to rewrite your mission statement just with your staff. But I want you to rewrite it, and you have to promise me that a teenager would understand it if it's redrafted. And you have to promise me that you won't redraft it with the explicit or implicit intention of making your ones and twos from the previous prescription fit in. I want you to think about what your mission statement is, what your core purpose is. I want you to write it down so that somebody who is 12 or 13 would absolutely understand that you do this through this in the service of this. And I don't want you to write it to try to fit everything you do into it. What are the side effects to this? Pretty much you're going to see some internal reckoning that there are programs that really need to be revisited. Or you can celebrate because you can validate that you continue to maintain a laser focus on your mission. Number four. So we got our mission statement, sniff test, program assessment, a staff mission statement, rewrite for a 12-year-old. Number four is develop some guiding principles. Based on these exercises that I've suggested here, what if you went back to the board and had a conversation and you posed this question? What would have to be true for us to decide to embark on a new initiative or program? What would have to be true? And this conversation should result in some guardrails, some guiding principles that you can all agree about. And it can be at least an outline of a rubric by which new things will be evaluated. Because I'm going to tell you there are executive directors with egos. There are executive directors that have bright, shiny object syndrome. It happens. There are board members that are going to come up with fabulous new ideas. What do you do with them? If you can put them through some kind of a rubric that you've all agreed on and they don't fit, that really helps. It helps you to have the discipline to say no or the excitement that comes with saying yes. Are there side effects to this? Yeah, I think your board gains greater insight and greater facility in evaluating your programs, which, by the way, is one of their 10 core responsibilities. We like it when boards have the ability to do the jobs that come with the inordinate and big responsibility of being a board member. And number five, try this one. Create messaging for the funder who wants to fund what doesn't fit. It's really hard to say no to money because there are so many things you need to do because you are almost always under-resourced. But when the money comes with a catch, when the money can't be used for the things you know are core and central to your purpose, you actually have to have the discipline to say no. But you also don't want that funder to walk away. You want that funder who clearly sees some value in your work to rethink. 
So it's important that you actually have some discipline around this messaging and not have to contend with it on the fly. So the process that I've outlined above, the first four things, can inoculate you against a funder who has a bright, shiny object. And your messaging, of course, begins with appreciation. And then I want you to be able to say with a true heart about how strategic your organization is and how engaged your board is by talking about the fact that now you have, thanks to the above steps, a rubric that you have developed in collaboration with your board to assess fit and that you look forward to talking to the board about the idea through that lens. Another messaging, by the way, is to reframe, is to be able to say to that donor, what I think you're getting at with your idea X and you look at what's underneath it or what it's actually in the service of, better still. And you say, what I love about X is that it's in the service of ABC. And, you know, we've done a lot of strategy work over the last couple of years. And ABC is actually a strategic priority. Now, while we're not thinking about X specifically, you and I are in alignment that ABC is a strategic priority. And some of the things that fall under that for us as priorities are the following things. So you can actually redirect your funder if you can actually identify what the funder has suggested that is part of, that there's some element of it that connects to your strategy. And you can talk about your organization as being strategic. You can talk about how smart that donor is for aligning with your strategy and potentially redirect to something else that you are doing against that strategy. Now, the side effects of this, you'll no longer be mumbling in front of donors when you don't know what to say, when you actually can't say flat out no, or are you kidding me? You'll have something to say. It'll be wise, appreciative, respectful of the funder generating the idea and potentially, potentially redirecting those funds in the direction of something you are already committed to doing. So... Those are the five ways you can think about preventing mission creep. The mission statement sniff test, a kind of simple program assessment, writing the mission statement for a teenager, developing some guiding principles, a rubric for decision-making around new programs with your board, and being ready for the funder who offers you money for something you do not want to do that does not fit into that rubric. I know it all sounds so logical, right? But it, you have to have a certain amount of logic, don't you think? You have to have a certain amount of strategy here. You can't follow the money. You can't follow your self-interest. You can't appease a board member who has a fabulous idea that doesn't fit. You've got to focus on your North Star. You've got to focus on the fact that you have limited resources, but that a clarity of North Star has the potential to bring you more of them. That I would fund, much rather fund an organization with a real clarity of purpose, with guardrails about what programs fit and what don't, 
because I know that my money will be invested wisely. I often say to my clients, if I was the person who was responsible for funding all of X, and my only requirement was that I wanted to meet with you twice a year, and I wanted you to look me right in the eye and explain to me how my donation was putting the organization on the fast path towards that North Star, you can either look me straight in the eye and tell, and tell me, or you won't be able to look me straight in the eye. And I think you owe it to your clients, your board, your donors, your fellow staff members, to always be able to look anyone who donates a dollar or a million dollars straight in the eye and say, we have a North Star, it's clear. We have programs that align with it. We have a board that's invested in it. And you can count on your donation, whether that's treasure or time, you can count on it to be maximized in terms of impact and invested very, very wisely in the service of our mission. If you can just keep your eyes on the North Star, you'll always be able to look everyone in the eye with integrity, with your feet firmly planted on the high road. And the whole mission creep thing, I think doing that, you won't even be tempted to be a mission creep because you'll be too focused on the things that really matter. Speaking of things that really matter, thank you for the work that you do. It really matters. And I will see you next time. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thank you for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.